he has done for Adam's helpless race. And what he has done is breathtaking and it's victorious, it's triumphant. Martin Luther in the 16th century said of Romans chapter 5, in the whole Bible, there's hardly another chapter which can equal this one, this triumphant text. And so let's dive right in. If you have your Bibles open in front of you to point one, verses 12 to 14, sin and death comes with Captain Adam. And then point two, we'll see that righteousness and life come with Captain Jesus. Humans, choose your captain. So firstly, Captain Adam. Now, before we start, the the origin, the source of evil is a, a theological mystery. We know that all things are under God's control, but we know God is also not the author of evil. What is not a mystery for Christians, however, is how evil entered the world. And that's what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. And so we know Satan and and sin preceded. They were before Adam. But here we find the way that, that Satan and sin entered into the realm of man, humanity. The figurehead, the captain of humanity, Adam, made the catastrophic decision that he was going to side with Satan instead of remaining on God's side. And as the kids' talk said, as Simon said, this not only was a decision for him, but for everyone who would follow him. I recently heard, um, I think it's going through social media, that there's an American, Brian Johnson, a a wealthy businessman, spending $2 million a year to um, medical professionals, a particular doctor, who he hopes will reverse his ageing. He's hoping a certain formula and and diet and so on is going to take him back to be the age of 18. People throughout the years, the centuries, the millennia have sought to cease ageing. All the best with that one. He doesn't seem aware of what verse 12 makes plain. Three unavoidable realities. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. The three realities, one, Adam chose to sin. Two, sin leads to death. And three, all humans sin and therefore die. Christians call this sin contagion that we originally caught from Adam, original sin. It's the spiritual disease that we're all born with that leads us to so inevitably do actual sins. You don't need to teach a little child how to sin. And so these two categories of sin are really important to understand. Martin Luther explains it this way. He said, original sin enters into us. We do not commit it, but we suffer it. We are sinners because we are the sons of a sinner. A sinner can only beget a sinner who is like him. So we actually sin because we've been born into sin. And so if we fail to understand that, as many of our our world experts do, we fail to understand humanity as it is. Ashley and I um, have a day off on Friday, so we went to the Art Gallery of New South Wales last Friday. In the Art Gallery, you see many depictions of good and evil through the artworks. The ancient fight between God and Satan can be seen in each of the galleries. The art, on the one hand, expresses expresses such beauty and promise Humans have a deep yearning for what is good. But on the other hand, people experience evil. Good can't be taken for granted. Good seems to have to overcome its opposition 
and emerge through smothering evil forces. Matching Genesis, we seem to think of good as natural and evil a threatening imposter. Natural freedom is something we need to fight and even die for. Artists recognise something is deeply wrong. The world sees sin and death, but the world also seems to be in the dark about the cause of sin and death. When God gave Israel Genesis 1 to 3, he immortalised his explanation as to why such beauty and goodness contend with such evil and pain. Christians can know how deep the sin problem goes. The world, at the same time, doesn't see or literally count sin as in the same way that a Christian does. Verse 13, not counting sin as sin when they don't have the help of the law. But God, through Genesis and the Old Testament laws, show the threads that we've since weaved into a tangled web. And so we might think as we're doing our tax return, do I really need to declare that little bit of income? I need the money more than the government after all. Scripture helps us at that point to see sin as sin, and so sin in a way escalates, it increases, we, we become more aware of it. Scripture says very plainly, don't lie, don't cheat, don't use false measures, don't look lustfully at others. Yet whole careers and industries and markets, Adam's entire civilization as, as a whole, have these as their very foundation. Greed is good, more is right. Now, it's a bad analogy, but reading God's law is like a person having a cold shower after the night before, remembering what he or she did in the the heat of the moment. What seemed okay and good with drugs and with darkness is much better assessed in the sobering light of the morning. C.S. Lewis said that good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. But whether conscious of God's law or not, sin and its consequences are a reality. And so verse 14, Paul writes, Nevertheless, death reigned. What a terrible summary of of the situation. Death reigned. Captain Adam and King Death. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam did. That is the same original way I take it. That Adam was a trailblazer in a way that the rest of humanity hasn't been. Adam's a parable, an example, an illustration of being a captain of a portion of humanity. Verse 14, it says, a pattern of the one to come. I take it Adam 1.0 would help the world understand Adam 2.0. Verse 14, the weak and the flawed, one human being like a beta test that was very good, perfect for its intention, but always intended to be a forerunner to the flawless, more divine version of humanity. Since sin dehumanizes us, no one has been more human than Jesus the model human who lost no fidelity through the corrupt, subhuman behaviour the rest of us have. Adam version 1.0 teaches us that life is a choice between God and Satan, good and evil, 
and that these things, much more than what car you drive, matters. Humans, choose your captain. That's the message brought by Adam. And it's the message we can learn about today. An Indian friend of mine was recently sharing of a boy who lived in her street in India. Now, this is a disturbing story. That boy was abducted when my friend was young, taken away. And many years later, the man was recognized on the street as that stolen boy. He'd been terribly mistreated by the people who stole him so that he could beg for his owner. Friends, what God is saying here and how you respond to it has much gravity, more gravity than I can express. That little boy even losing his eyes to create an income for someone stealing him. Good and evil still matter. Just ask that boy, come man. Our world's problem and our greatest problem is sin and its consequences. God and righteousness matter. That's what the art galleries are trying to express. The healing Christ offers is a healing so deep and so good and so permanent. It's wanting and and providing what, again, the galleries are striving for. He heals the wounds. He restores sight to the blind. He replaces sorrow with dancing. And wounded souls, wounded spirits, too, can be healed. And so, friends, I invite you, as we do many weeks, if you haven't already, come to Jesus. Don't be so loyal to Adam's race that you won't sign up to the new race that Jesus is building. Don't be so loyal to your preferences and comforts and idols or a deluded sense of independence. Who needs a creator when I've got creation? Don't resist the kind rescue of Jesus. Don't choose more sport or wealth or laundry or even more me time if it comes at the cost of God and gatherings and ministry to others. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. If, if not Captain Adam, firstly, then point two, righteousness and life come with Captain Jesus. Now, I take it if you could stand beside Adam and Jesus in a conversation, I take it Adam was a literal man because Jesus and Paul does. That has implications for our view of origins, doesn't it? And I'd love to talk to you about that later. But if you could have Adam and Jesus together in a conversation, I take it they would look much the same. Different language. I take it a different skin tone. But two humans. And yet Jesus was like no other. He was sent to be the new, sinless, death-conquering, ascended, glorious addition of a new humanity. And so if you're a Christian, you've been spiritually reborn, categorically transferred from one domain, one captain's team, into the team of another. Jesus, the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, as Paul calls him in Romans 8. Let's see how Paul explains in verse 15. But the gift Jesus offers is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more? And we're going to see this comparing and contrasting language. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Think about it. I think this is what Paul's getting at. 
Which should be the more powerful instrument in God's plans? One act of defiance against God by a man? Or God the Son's ultimate act of righteousness at Calvary? Adam's decision to sin? Or God's ultimate decision to reverse and annul sin in the person of Jesus? Will Adam's poor decision reign forever? Will not righteous King Jesus reign instead, ultimately and forever? What should have more sway in God's economy, a sad rebel leading a rebellion, or a loving sacrificial divine king who lays down his life for us to save and to heal? Now, I don't know if it's because we've got a convict heritage in Australia, but Australians seem to like an outlaw. We might be more impressed as a culture with Ned Kelly than we are with those who captured him, pursued him. But God assures us the person who starts the house fire and creates the misery will not outshine the person who extinguishes the fire, dresses the wounds, and rebuilds the house. If Captain Adam was influential, how much more Captain Jesus is, is God's point through Paul's writings. That's what Paul is again getting at in verses 16 to 17. There's repetition of thought here. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation for Adam and humanity. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? Notice the straining of language here. God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You might picture yourself sitting in an orphanage. It's Adam's prison-like orphanage. No escape. Trapped in Adam's miserable, dark building. But into the darkness shines some light. A smiling orphan who's being recently adopted whispers an invitation. And those words of whisper are so inherently powerful that as you hear them, you feel the light enter your life. Light, life, adoption, safety, full self-expression of this person you want to be, a true home. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, as the hymn puts it. Whose are you? Which captain? And how deliberately do you belong to the captain you choose? Ashley and I love watching, a few years ago, the um, TV show Grand Designs, and we still appreciate nice houses. But if that's all that our lives pursue, to set our sense of arrival within Adam's dark world, then our grand designs are just houses of straw. And there is a big bad wolf who loves those houses and de devours them at will. Friends, if you've signed up with Captain Jesus, then sin and Satan and death are and will be completely overpowered on your behalf. He's very much a wounded enemy. And if you got a bit lost with the verses that we've just looked at, in verses 18 to 21, I think Paul picks up what he starts in verse 12 and he concludes and summarises the point in verse 18 onwards. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, 
so also the righteousness of one, the righteous activity of one, resulted in justification and life for all people. Adam 1.0 had his all, verse 18. He had his many, but so too Christ will have his all and his many, verse 19. What has God done then for Adam's helpless race? He has sent a new Adam for a new start, a reset. For a while longer, Adam's blood still courses through our veins. And that explains why our motives are still mixed We've been spiritually reborn, but we struggle with the old self. It explains why our prayers to the Lord and our love for the lost are colder than we'd like. Why our eyes and our heart always stray towards unworthy things. Why our desires always require restraint. Why our sadness at others' success and our enjoyment of others' failure persists. We now belong to Captain Jesus, but old habits die hard. J.I. Packer in your service sheets has a quote there about that struggle. And his point is that our bodies are poor tools for new hearts. Our flesh makes it easier to be shy, angry, lustful, depressed, distant. But when we're raised to new life after death, we'll have resurrection bodies perfectly suited as instruments for life with Captain Jesus. Our flesh is no excuse for sin, but we will be getting new spiritual bodies that make things certainly much easier. Adam, sin, death will not have the last word. Verses 20 to 21. When the law looms large and exposes our sin, we can be sure God's grace will be larger. God wins. Team team Jesus is a team in which, verse 20, grace wins, grace reigns. Or verse 21, life triumphs over death in humanity 2.0. Through verse 21, Jesus Christ our Lord. So friends, this morning a church gathering is a gathering of humanity 2.0. Before me is a group of people who also, sitting here but also have seats in heaven, Tick, tick, tick. The clock keeps ticking. But our experience of the wonder of Jesus is already three seconds later with the three ticks of the clock. As we go home, one hour closer to our time with Jesus than when we arrived. How does this affect your drive home or your Monday that's come out of Sunday? Do you think of yourself more as a human 1.0 or a human 2.0? Are you developing new kingdom appetites? Are your identity and goals ever more about Captain Jesus, the team to which you truly belong? One small example of the way I'm seeking to belong more to Captain Jesus more deliberately is to reduce the effect TV has on me and screens generally. So I've been trying more recently. I've got teenage kids and they're expected to do their homework or read a book at night. And so it's hard for them if I'm not doing something similarly good. Um, And so I tend to, instead of looking at a screen, I'll look for edifying or um, Christian books to read. I'll listen to music. Uh, I notice with screens off, I get tired earlier, so by 9 o'clock I'm really fading. 
And so I'll go to bed reading something devotional or just something uplifting. And then I notice because I go to bed early, I'm waking up from four, starting to stir from 4 or 5 a.m. earlier today. And notice the spirit within me, even in those hours, leading me to think and to pray, Lord Jesus, help me to honour you. Help me to love you. I'm yours and you're mine. They're the kind of thoughts that God's putting into this new creation at those hours of the morning. I take no credit for this. I'm only semi-conscious. It's the spirit of the second Adam breathing his life into his otherwise weak little brother. And I want to get on board with what Jesus is doing and feed this new David with things worthy of a brother of Jesus. How does your routine differ from a child of Adam? Yes, Adam explains our past, but Jesus is our future. Convinced of Captain Jesus' importance, a friend of ours recently decided to leave his job as a stock agent to be a pastor and share Jesus with his world. Now, being a pastor isn't for everyone, but how will you express where God has placed you and a higher esteem for Jesus' importance? What difference is that going to make in your life, in your household? Adam explains our past. We'll still have trials in fallen Adam's world, but Jesus is our future. On Christmas Day last year, a missionary family that was serving Indigenous Australians um, had a serious car accident in South Australia. Uh, their car hit a kangaroo at high speed. The children were okay, but Kate and Matt were seriously injured. Matt had head injuries and is now out of hospital, but Kate had spinal injuries and has lost the use of her limbs and will still be from now in hospital for months. As Matt and Kate, who are serving God with their lives, look at their future, there are so many unknowns, but they know whose they are. Matt says, and I read his words, his wife's still in hospital, his life turned upside down. God has already shone his face upon Kate and me and our family by sending Jesus, his son, and giving us his spirit. No car crash or anything will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They suffer in Captain Adam's world, but they know they belong to Captain Jesus. Well, let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for helping us see the world through your eyes. That There are not one but two types of humanity coping with two spiritual rulers. Satan versus you, darkness versus light, enslavement versus liberation. But we recognise the good news that the forces aren't equal. That you as the almighty God win. And so too with you there is light and liberation, triumph, dark, triumph over Satan, over darkness and over enslavement. Father, help us to choose your way. Help us to more consciously belong to Team Jesus. We need the help of your spirit to leave our past behind and to take up day by day the new life that we have in him. And we ask in his name. Amen.